Welcome to the Dillentons Podcast. I'm with Lena Goss. She was born and raised in New York. She earned her BA from University of Rochester, her MFA and PhD from the University of Washington, and she's widely published in numerous collections and journals on Bob Dylan. She co-edited 2011's Dylan at Play and 2017's Tearing the World Apart. She's presented her work in the States and abroad on Bob Dylan, and she edits the journal Montague Street. So just a few things on Dylan. It's impressive. Uh, So let's start off with the question, uh, what is it about Bob Dylan? I think about this a lot, and I don't know if I'm able to articulate this as effectively as I would like. But the thing that that I'm never able to assimilate about Dylan is that he seems to have this infinite, ineffable resources that he can bring to bear on any style or persona or point or philosophical or existential point of view that he wants. So he seems to be incompatible with himself across his canon, but at every point there's a level of just remarkable sublime creation that it should be incompatible with what came before and what comes after, but the resources of creativity and expression that he has have almost never failed him. That's fascinating. I think I feel that way about your work. That every oh, for time God's I- sake. You, this has to be edited out. So my example, so to demonstrate this, I want to listen to Blonde on Blonde. Okay. Listen to Blonde on Blonde all the way through, and then wait five minutes, and then listen to John Wesley Harding. Okay. And then tell yourself, this is the same artist, the same man, Mm -hmm. months apart. Mm -hmm. These two visions, these two modes of of song, these two uh, languages, entire discourses are incompatible. It's not that they're different. They're incompatible, and he brings to bear these resources of expression and and composition that are just unparalleled, and that's what it is about him. Okay, so within that, do you still hear, and I think the, I know the answer, but do you hear a strain of a singular voice there? And I think I know the answer, but go ahead. I don't know whether I do, do I? I see the strain of um, I see the strain of a, of a mode perhaps, okay. which is he's always in process. Nothing there's not a single work, there's not a single album, there's not a single song, there's not a single performance that has the quality of being fixed and certain. I feel that no matter what I'm listening to, I'm listening to process and not statement if that that sounds abstract and pretentious but that's the only consistency it doesn't there have been periods when his voice is not the tam of his voice isn't what he wants it to be but he's always able to work with the voice that he has the throat that he has at any given time to suit the material that 
And, and whoever said he writes with his voice, he doesn't write mm -hmm. ver verbally, he writes orally, a right. orally is, yeah. is spot on. So what are you currently working on? I am working on an essay for the, the, an essay on late style and Bob Dylan for an anthology on teaching Dylan. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm very interested in the field of late style. So in 2017, you edited Tearing the World Apart with Eric Hoffman. Tell me more about that. I originally began as a contributor mm -hmm. to, the, um, to the volume, and then Eric Hoffman, as the months went by, he became uh, um, overwhelmed with other work, and he wasn't able to be the hands-on editor for the text and asked me if I would like to take that over in order to usher the project to completion. And I have a, a lot of editing experience, so I was able to take that on in an, in an efficient way. So I became the prime editor of the text. I brought in some new pieces, and, and so, yes, yeah, so it was a great pleasure to work because I am strongly committed to raising the the profile of Dylan's post-2000 mark. So it was a great pleasure to work on this with an mm -hmm. international group of contributors and a range of methodologies. It's, yeah. it's a great collection. Uh, so you've written quite a bit about Dylan in the 21st century, and you've said that you're committed to his post-2000 works or his late career work. So what is it about that period that is worth exploring that you find so fascinating? So I think that later generations are going to have far better answers to this than, than we will. I think Dylan is one of the great artists of age, mm -hmm. um, like Picasso or Wordsworth. I think that he is a, a voice of the, the peculiar potency of age that is not simply a, you know, a desperate prolonging of youthful vigor. That's not what Bob Dylan is about. Mm -hmm. And also when he started his, you know, his bricolage stealing method um, of composition I f and that he's been able to sustain that and, and work with it in really elastic ways and I think that he's really questioning um, what, it, what it means to be original in art and he's doing he's doing that consistently through the in the last you know 20 years um, and and I never am tired of exploring that history and memory, how he um, how he plays in in radical and transgressive ways with history and memory. It's interesting because you in your your piece that you did. So we met in 2018, the Dylan of the 21st Century conference that was in Arras, and you presented on Dylan's revisionist art, and in that. The chapter, um, which I reread for for this you know this discussion, you wrote that you used Roland Barthes and you you know you kind of overlaid and I like that use of you know and you talk about bricolage and the stealing and the, the putting things together and I think that that I'm, I'm don't know where I'm going with this but it's interesting <laughs> I had a thought and it went away um, and we can put that in the in, in the discussion I'm fine with that. Um, but it's fascinating to me that you were, yeah, that, that approach that you have that is constantly regenerate, regenerating, that you're showing his regenerative, um, I guess, 
abilities with pulling all of this, the, the disparate elements together. But you did say that revisionist art, that exhibit, was the worst thing Dylan has put his name on. Do you still feel that way? I sure do. It's just awful. <laughs> Emphatic. It is awful. And the, what I was hoping to do with my paper is show that what Bob Dylan is 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 what we bring to him and, and yes. what he provokes in us yeah. often enough. No and one else could could have uh, could could take up that much space in a gallery with that crap. I really that's what is this shit? What is this shit? This uh, there you go. Yeah. Yes, but I I, I I was tickled by that because and then your your exuberance in this answer too. You're just like yes, I do feel that way. But it is it's that ability for us that even in the stuff that we hate, we can still well, maybe hate's too strong, but that we dislike or we can still look at it and look at our response to it as part of maybe and he's taught us he has taught us how to live in the completely precarious space of what is real and what is not right and so and and everyone who says to me oh bob dylan he's such a fraud and i think i say to them right on he is the the most extraordinary fraud that has ever he has brought authenticity to fraudulence in a way that no artist ever has and that you know revisionist craft just is just con us conditioned to bring those to those you know habits of thought to to this. He's taught us how to do that. But there are people that will look at that and be like, oh, it's genius because Bob Dylan did it. But I think his iron, his iron work is, re is really real. Mm -hmm. I think the iron sculptures that he's making, that is real. That is the only real visual art that he has produced. Okay. Because there are That's, discussions about his visual art and maybe not the iron works, but he's, you know, making a new album and he's doing ironworks and he's painting and folks wonder how he could do that all of that at once and so you think he's cheating if he's the if he's bringing authentic authenticity to fraudulence do you think he's cheating i do but show me someone else that's cheating better <laughs> no I, I i think he's he's really making manufacturing those irons he's got the pictures of him yeah the, he does the with the welding and the blowtorch the, the, the whole flash dance thing going yeah, yeah. And maybe that's part yeah. of the fraudulence yeah. no no i don't know i think he is it. making i i think okay. he makes more you know of his time than you and i do that's also possible that yes yeah <laughs> that's possible as well and i think too with um the latest um, why well, I can't think of the name of it. The latest exhibit that he did, the the movie stills. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think that that's great because he's taking a two dimensional object or image and putting it into another two dimensional image, and so he's not. I don't know that there's that much creation there. I don't. But it's still yeah, interesting that's that what, he's doing. And that. I didn't think that. I felt that way about the Asia series. Okay. That was forgettable and mm -hmm. yeah, but you know. It, what is the name of it? It's there, and it's a yes. Latin word, and or a play on a Latin word. Oh, retrospective. Retrospective. Yes. Thank you. 
Good grief. We're going to have to edit that out, or maybe we'll leave it because it's authentic yes, and we won't go. be fraudulent <laughs> in our authenticity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fantastic. So you've written on Dylan in other periods as well, and so since I've known you, mostly I've seen your work on Dylan post-2000, and that makes sense that you're interested in that, but I saw you, uh, we presented on a panel together uh, where you wrote on Street Legal. 1978, and then you just did your brilliant paper on Dylan and the Beats, as well as the 21st century. So you've already said your favorite period is this period now. Intellectually, but otherwise, yeah. I'm, I'm mainly, I mainly want to get it inside the songs mm-hmm. that speak to me the most. So okay. I'm not good with periods. This period has a coherence to it mm-hmm. that, and, and that I think is so fascinating and so right. provoking. And then otherwise, it's really song to song. That okay, that's fair. All right, so how do you approach each project? And you said you go song by song, but I'm always taken aback by how smart and how well you use theory, but in a way that I can hear you speaking when you write. And it's so, so, it's, so it's, it's both academic and intellectual and abstract by being so personal that it's just your work is so good. The real answer to this in Mm -hmm. the interest of authenticity is I want to be current. Mm -hmm. I want and I want strongly to contribute to and to promote real substantive intellectual work on Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. I want us, our generation, Mm -hmm. to be the even though I'm a lot older than you, but our in mm-hmm. academic generation to be um, the bridge to the, to the work that will be done on Bob, the assessment and the work that will be done on Bob Dylan w- when that thing happens that we don't talk about that will never happen. Okay. Um, and so I re- so I really want to be current and competitive in this you know, promiscuous market of Dylan writing. And so I, I have a very skeptical um, view of most contemporary theory, but I want to find ways to use it to, to play in this field and also do justice to, to the work that I want to discuss. So that's, that's all that I can say. Do you think that there, what's problematic is that he's, because he's a pop figure, a pop culture figure, you know, if I tell someone that I write about Bob Dylan, they're like, what, what is there to write about? You oh, know? I know. Don't you always feel that little catch in your mind where yeah. you tell, this is, I'm going to a conference. Really? You're, and what kind of paper are you going to? Well, it's, about, it's all about Bob Dylan. And I feel awful being an apologist for myself about that. I want, and then... Do you feel awful for yourself or awful for the other folks who don't know? Who don't, who, um, who I don't know. Cause I, I feel awful for myself. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, fair. that's what, I agree with L- L- Leonard Cohen, who said giving Bob Dylan the, the, uh, Nobel was like giving Mount Everest the prize for the highest mountain, which I, I totally, right, right. Bob Dylan is way bigger than the Nobel, but it, it was like a little ticket. Mm-hmm. It's like a little card that I can carry around with it. I can right. say, you know, this man won the Nobel Prize for Literature, right. so while you're... Plus list all the other Condescending things. to me, right. yes. Right. While you're, yes. So yes, we have conferences about him, so that's... Why is there a museum to Bob Dylan? Yes. 
Well, because he's America's greatest living artist, that's why. Well, and that to me is a, is a, an understatement. I so, know, but yes, but yeah, no, I do understand that. You have to bring people slowly onto the, you know, onto the Dylan train, I guess. But it's just it's it's frustrating though because I, because he's a pop culture figure, there is so much out there on Dylan, and uh, you. Um, you have written about, and we have talked a little bit about how people will go through the excruciating minutia to list all of the things. And I think I had a conversation. I don't know if you were in that conversation when we were in Tulsa in June, but about how there are folks who will list all of the reference points, but then the list is good, but then what do we do with that list after that? You know, if we know that he is, you know, referencing or borrowing from Timrod or whomever, right. then where, what, then it's the why of that. Yes, That's exactly. Well, exactly. What are the effects of that? Mm-hmm. What does this mean about composition? What are the effects? What did it mean for you to have to go and read this? And how are you feeding this mm-hmm. back into the work in a way that's opening the work up? That was a big thing for me when I um, was doing a paper on uh, Scarlet Town. Mm-hmm. And I found all these references to from John Greenleaf Whittier, a poet that I was not that fluent in. And then suddenly I have this, this, new, uh, this new resource, this new way of, of looking at Dylan. Right. I look at Whittier's, uh, the span of Whittier's life and career is an interesting counterpart to, uh, in terms of art and political activism, which now illuminates Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. in a new way. So you have to keep asking yourself, it's really hard, hard work, you know, being a serious Bob Dylan fan. It's really hard work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of constant... You know, self-education. So there you go. Yeah, and I always feel that there's a lot... That, that I'm so far behind, that there's so much that oh my I don't God. know. And yes. The more I read, the more it's like pulling a strand that, that just keeps pulling. Absolutely. And, and you have to keep having that. You yeah. have to keep have, bringing that humility. And mm-hmm. yes, and yeah. sometimes it's just it's really fucking exhausting. <laughs> it's like, it's overwhelming. Too much work, yeah. man. All right, so how do you reconcile being a Dylan fan with being a Dylan scholar? So I don't understand or, or like this question. Okay, I'm that's not, fine. I borrowed it from Jim, so we okay. can go Jim. I, I want to know how we're defining fan, that it's something I have to re- reconcile with. And if this is some quaint reference to the pop, to pop culture, aren't we way past that? We are, that? but here's the thing. Dylan, and, but, uh, sorry. Jim told me, don't make this too intellectual. And I was just thinking that as we oh, went off on yeah. our lift, I'm oh, like, oh, uh, that, we, that, that, that ship has sailed. <laughs> like, would you ask Camille Paglia, how do you reconcile being a Madonna fan with being a, you know, a feminist uh, investigator of Madonna? Would you ask her that? Because they're completely intertwined. Right. You know? Well, that's, that was my I, answer. I said, you know, are they separate? That when I when Jim asked me that, I said, I don't know if they are so. I really don't understand the question. Right. I think it's that there are casual fans that go and... So, yeah, but then they're not, you know, sweating bullets trying to get into academic conferences. Right. And then if they were, they'd be, that's what they'd be. They'd, they'd be Dylan be, Scholars. Yeah. All right. Or, but you're both, though, because you do go to concerts. Well, I live in New York City, and I have the means to go to, you know, numerous concerts. 
No, I know what you're, what you're trying yeah, to say. I know, that I but I really, truly don't, don't understand the... What is it about Bob Dylan? Is it because he's... He has this... Because he's a Nobel laureate? No, because he has this profile of being a rock star. I guess so. Why, so. so these divisions of culture, aren't we past that? Well, yeah. High and low and... and that's, this seems to me to be a middle-brow question, okay. a question that's trying to divide two right. discourses. This is like, who's Adorno who told us that there's no real division between disciplines, that hello. they're all interchangeable. Yeah, I just... Or is the, is, the, is the question, am I incapable of being critical of Bob Dylan because I think he's... Well, then answer so, that question. That's, I tell my students that all the time. If you read a prompt and you don't want to answer the prompt exactly as it's written, figure out how to interpret it to, to answer how you want to. But why can't... See, and then the older I get, the more tired I get of that idea. You know, okay. Martha Nussbaum, the philosopher, <laughs> mm -hmm. in her book, Love's Knowledge, mm -hmm. where she writes about, using literature, she writes about the epistemology of love, of how love creates a certain epistemology. Why can't we bring that sort of thing? Don't you think you write better about Bob Dylan because of the affinity you have for his work? Yes. I mean, I'm sure you could write brilliantly and competently about other, and I'm yeah. sure you do. And That's lovely, maybe not, not true. But I'm sure. <laughs> See, I'm just but as Doesn't that now. give us lenses and... And discipline and attention. I don't. But might it is it all us? about the concerts? I go to concerts and scream when he does. You know, right. it takes a, a lot to let. But is that where you're a Dylan fan and you kind of release the, I guess the investigate the analytical part. You're just there to enjoy it. Maybe it's I don't believe in that. I'm not interested that 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 whole <laughs> passion and reason thing. Yeah. Aren't we past that too? Do I have to? You know, yeah. here's what when I started. You know, becoming infused with Bob Dylan as the greatest artist, and right. I see this man perform, and it was an experience I had and you I could not expect. And I thought, well, here I am. I have this degree, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I know how to put a paragraph together. Maybe I can bring these two parts of my life together. Okay. So, but how did you get into Dylan? What was your entryway into Dylan? It was Chronicles. Okay. I went to. Um, I was taking a class at the at the the McCor Center, which is not far from where we are mm -hmm. here at Fordham, which is a, a an arts and culture center that's associated with the Fourteenth uh, Street Y. Right. And so I was taking a class there and something else, and I see signs for Grail Marcus was going to be talking about his book on Like a Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't know anything about Bob Dylan. I couldn't have named three Bob Dylan songs. I had never listened to him in high school when I was into rock music and going to concerts all the time. And I knew Grail Marcus was so famous. Mm -hmm. And I thought, here's my chance for $15 to hear this super famous critic talking about something that he knows about. Mm -hmm. And the pictures on the, the posters in the center were the cover of the book of Dylan in the studio mm -hmm. and and I looked at that picture and I said to myself I had no idea Bob Dylan was such a handsome young man <laughs> I had never 
seen a picture of him <laughs> at that age. So I go to the talk, and um, some things about Marcus's attitude towards Bob Dylan strangely rubbed me the wrong way. I felt that he was, and that's as far as I will go. And I left the talk feeling very defensive about poor Bob Dylan, you know, like the third most famous and successful human being on the planet who needed me to be, yes, to feel sorry for him. And I went to Barnes & Noble and bought his book, Chronicles. And I started reading it, and four pages in, the entire world turned inside out. And there was only one reality, and that was that book. And that was where it all started. And it's a different way than many of us come to Dylan's. Most so, people don't come through the Yeah. But Grayley Grayley Heron and I both came through language as well. Oh that's my, interesting. My stepdad gave me a book of Dylan's lyrics. Oh the, see. the pink one that's upstairs or that was upstairs. And he he had it and he said, Take this brother, may it serve you well and I was like, I don't know, twelve or thirteen years wow, old. Wow, that's so interesting. Read, and I'm sure Dylan was on it because he loves Dylan, but I didn't really consciously, I guess it did, I didn't absorb it as much as I did like the Beatles and the other music right. he played, but I was just enamored of the, the language. Isn't that interesting? And you couldn't hear the, no. you couldn't hear the music while you, so it was just the pure language, text. You, yeah. you weren't here. Oh, see, that's so interesting. Yeah. I think I got blood on the tracks, which was my first, my entryway into Dylan, which I think is a good entryway, but. It must, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anything is. I'd say, yeah. I always say that, that any any door, that mm -hmm. you could walk through any door yeah. and get into yeah. Dylan. You could go see Mastin Anonymous <laughs> and say, oh my God, there's almost nothing that he's done that doesn't make an, an ordinary sentient person say, oh my God, what? who is this man? Yeah. What what kind of person is this? Who did this? Right. Yes. I remember you saying in, in France, more blood, more tracks. And every time I listen to that bootleg, I'm like, yes. Yes. It's so <laughs> good. I want more of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I do. All right. So what other sort of music do you enjoy? Yeah, this is, I'm not very eclectic. Besides Bob Dylan, I listen to the Rolling Stones okay. and you too. And more Rolling Stones, and some Leonard Cohen, and then more Rolling Stones. Okay. And that's it. All right. The Rolling Stones bring me untrammeled joy. All Uncomplicated, right. untrammeled joy all the time. Okay. So that there goes all my intellectual credibility. I don't think so. See, there, there's the, the, the reason and the passion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, so how does that music relate to Dylan? I don't. Th I don't know. Oh, you can hear Mick Jagger talking on uh, in the studio when he comes to visit Bob and more. But the but I don't think it has to. I don't think it has to either. Just it was a question that um, to keep this lighter than we were. Yes, right, than right. We were, then we were discuss or our discussion led us. I'm a child of the '70s, and so all I did was listen to rock music and go to rock music concerts all the time, and then so. All right. Um, before we go, you edit Montague Street. Will you that's tell me defunct. I, it's that's defunct. Not, okay. Yes, the work of that. I started that project mm -hmm. with my friend Lucas Stensland, and mm -hmm. and then he wasn't able to continue it. And so to do the whole, th I have no graphic experience. So for each okay. issue, I would have to get someone to do the layout for free, and that. It's just, it was exhausting work. Mm -hmm. It was expensive and exhausting work. I'm very 
proud of the, you know, three issues that we did. I think they're, you know, really strong compendiums of, mm -hmm. um, of writing. And I, I believe very strongly in the th in theme, right. journal, you know, theme issues. And I try to, Rob and I try to kind of steer the Dylan review towards theme rather than, you know, just the assortment right. and they that wasn't the direction they wanted to go, but. Might you do um, it digitally now that we live in this digital age? I still have to do all the work and it's exhausting. And I'd, ra I'd rather, I'm a little tired of editing. I would like to do as much as I can of my own work than midwifing other people's. Is Fair much. point. Anything else you want to say? This has been delightful. What's the last song you want to hear in your life before you shuffle off this mortal coil? Like, what are the songs that you say I, that you say I own this song? What What are songs you feel that way about? Um, I will share a very personal story. So when I went to see my friend Carrie, who was my Dylan friend, he passed away in two thousand eight. He oh, died of cancer at him. Oh my God. thirty eight. And he and I were sitting, he had a, a, an apartment above a garage, and we were sitting on the deck outside of it after a fish concert. And he was playing a, a bootleg of Love Minus Zero. And I just cried crocodile tears, and I said, I want to be that woman. Oh, is that, oh, <laughs> and he isn't said, that you already are. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And it was and just, it's such a beautiful oh memory God, that that's one know. of the songs that I would want to hear. And then, you know, there were just... Here's where the emotional part, not the intellectual. Right. Uh, forever young, because it makes me think of my nephews. What about you? I and I. Oh, oh yeah. That song yeah. is just a yeah. mystery of... Mag mm -hmm. Mystery of... Oh, my no, God. No, but that's, what's the last thing you want to hear? Is that such a... Because I don't understand it, and it's yeah. beautiful, and it's right at the edge of the can, yeah. luminous that song you can like song. sink down into it just yeah bathe in it until you're pruny i guess but no it's just until like you just yeah that's a good one what's a great moment you've had at a show like what's something indelible that oh my friend jason i was uh we went to see dylan it was jason and carrie and i went to see dylan in um, there were two, because I think if I don't mention the other one, I might be in trouble. <laughs> but um, so I was I was in a funk about something, and he just grabbed my shoulders and said, how can you be upset? We're going to see Bob Dylan. <laughs> and then the other, David, um, early on when we were dating, he got me front row seats to see Dylan. Oh. And that for him, I think, was an act of love because he doesn't oh, love Dylan. And that's a lot of money anyway yeah, you look was, at yeah, it. Yes, yeah. that's a and huge, so, that's a lot of commitment and a lot of, that's was, wonderful. And it was, it was fantastic. It was a great show. And so what about you? What's your favorite moment? I, I was possible? at the first, when Modern Times came out and mm -hmm. Ain't Talking to Me was just this world that I mm -hmm. just got into and yeah. I just, there's no, I could never stop talking and thinking yeah. about Ain't Talking. And I was at a show here at City Center, which mm -hmm. is also just a few blocks from here. And Tony comes out and sits down. He has a cello. And I think, well, that's interesting. And, he, and there, here it starts, the first notes of Ain't Talking. And that was the first time he ever did mm -hmm. the song live. 
What's the strange? Yeah, but seeing him like being, you know, in the front row and being able to like. See oh, I know the front row thing. Like, That's a big <laughs> problem yeah. because once you've sat in the front row, nothing else will it's do. Like being in Even the second row. <laughs> know, like That's because uh, I have sat in the front row, in the second row, and, and once in this, even the second row is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> What's the strangest Dylan concert you've ever been to? Oh, I went to. We went to. Um, in Milwaukee, he was a headliner at some out, some festival, and Willie Nelson played. And then it was one of the summer shows, oh, but yeah. it was a huge festival, and everybody there was a Willie Nelson fan, and they were all hammered, and okay. it was just this bad scene with fights, and you know, no mm. one was paying attention to to Dylan. I saw him. I don't know if that counts as strange. It's strange because of the audience, because mine is similar. There's nothing really strange about Dylan ever when no, I see him. No, that's true. It's no. more when I look at the people around me. He played the Houston Livestock and Rodeo Show oh. in 01, 02, 03, around there. And it was just a strange set. It was. Oh, I, yeah, I know. And, the, and the, weird places that he plays. Yeah, and people like just were trying to dance. Oh, yeah, dance. yeah. And they, yeah. <laughs> it was just really strange. Oh, I know. And you know that what they were all expecting <laughs> yeah. when they came is that you'd be in the stand in the front of the stage with this acoustic guitar and sing Blowing in the Wind to them. And yeah. then it was the. Well, we had that um, in, when we saw him in March. There were people who were like, do you think he's going to do blow in the wind? Isn't that something? Gonna... I'm like, hello, it's 12, 12. And even if you does it. Don't you have a, the internet at home <laughs> that you know this is not what's going to happen? And it's not going to be how you want it to be at all. either. And yeah, and you have every, it's so easy for you to find out that this it's, is not going right. to be. Listen to what he's doing. That's not, yeah. even if he does it, it will yeah, probably it's not be, gonna be what you like this. Yeah. And then one guy was waiting for the, the encore. I was like, there is no encore. Yeah. It's gone. It's, <laughs> it's gone. gone. We're going home now. It's over, honey. Yeah. We're going home now. I'm yeah. glad you saw him. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> just be thankful you experienced oh, this. No. It just it cracks me up. All right. Anything else you want to add? This is so delightful. No, unless there's something you want to no. talk about your own personal self. No. All right. So you can turn this off. I can turn it off. Thank you for listening to the Dillantons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to receive the Dillantons directly to your inbox. And please share on social media.